Um, I'm now at the age of uh, 37. I was born back in 1981 in the old Barking Hospital, Fireflies. Um, parents were originally born in London, but grandparents both come over from Cyprus on both sides um, shortly after the Second World War, because they were part of the British Army and fought with the British Army in the Second World War, and they come over in the 1950s and started life in the UK, so all good. Um, I'm now blind, everyone. I've been blind for 17 years now. Um, I had eyesight when I was young, but lost it every two years because of this rare condition. I've got Wolfram syndrome. And at the same time I was losing my sight, I lost my hearing. So I can only communicate if I'm talking to someone one-to-one -one, and we're standing close and I'm talking to them or on the telephone or something like that. If anyone says hello to me, sees me out and I don't reply, it means I haven't heard them. So, all good. This condition, Wolfram syndrome, um, another part of it, um, since the age of four, I've had diabetes mellitus, insulin-dependent diabetes, and I manage that quite thoroughly. I do about 10 blood tests a day. I'm now on insulin pump therapy. I've been on pump therapy now for 20 years, since 1998. And the condition Wolfram syndrome also comes with another form of diabetes called diabetes insipidus. That form of diabetes is extremely complex because it's related to antidiuretic hormone and you've got to regulate the amount of fluids you're drinking, for example, the amount of water you're drinking and the amount of water that's leaving the body in sweat or urine. It's quite complex because if the diabetes mellitus isn't well controlled, for example, you've got high blood sugars, the diabetes insipidus will just be totally out. So it's difficult to manage everything, I suppose. This condition, Wolfram syndrome, is neurogenic. For example, there's nothing wrong with my eye or my ears. It's the nerve, for example, the optic nerve at the back. So it's all nerves. So I've also got a neurogenic bladder and a neurogenic bowel. Get on with it, I suppose. Um, because I've got the... I've lived with Wolfram syndrome for so long, I've got a, a stomach problem now called gastroparitis. Basically, I'm not allowed to eat many foods that I used to be able to eat because I can't digest them. So what happens if I do touch something that I'm not allowed, I'll get severely bloated and I'm, I'll end up in hospital because my stomach won't absorb energy. So being diabetic and having a stomach that don't absorb energy and having insulin going in, you'll end up in hospital no time at all. So that's another thing to keep an eye on, I suppose. I'm very strict with food and things. Um, Grant, Becky and family um, volunteered to bring me to Golden to drop me back home. That's very kind of them. Um, Because my eyesight and hearing is poor, I've got this ataxia. Um, Grant's probably seen a couple of times now. Basically, it's very random. It's whenever it likes. Like, for example, Grant's walking me from the car to the front door of my house, and I'll go from walking normally to just being thrown off two feet and not knowing where I am, what I am. You, I've just got to wait for it to just <coughs> sort of pass. Because, for example, if someone's explaining to me where I am, what's around me, it doesn't mean nothing I'm, when you just got to wait for it to pass and just get on with it so all good all good I um, didn't have much luck in secondary school because um, obviously losing my eyesight every two years by the time I got to the GCSE years I couldn't see the blackboard and I couldn't read print on a page so it was extremely complex now I wasn't asking my 
my secondary school, sorry, to cure my problem. All I was asking for was a note taker to jot down the notes off the blackboard and read out the exam questions for me and fill out the exam. But back in those days, there was no such thing as equal opportunities, so I didn't get nowhere. So at the time of the GCSE exams, I couldn't even read the questions. And Head said to me, we'll give you an extra 10 minutes an hour. I said, excuse me, you can give me an extra month. I can't see the questions. I can't read it. So when I was legally allowed to leave secondary school at the age of 16, I left and went to college. And I basically applied to do A-levels that I wasn't qualified to do. But I just applied for them. And I had a meeting with the Head and told her about my condition. And fortunately, the Lord touched her heart because she had mercy, gave me a place on... A-levels I never had the grade to do and she sorted me out with a note taker to take all the notes down off the blackboard and fill out the exams for me. That was a great success. That was a great success because that enabled me to get the results to go to university. Now when it comes to applying to university I got a bit lazy because I was living at home with parents in Seven Kings on the bungalow estate and I was five minute walk away from the University of East London Longridge Road campus, Barking campus. It was five minute walkway, so I said to myself, I'm going to go there for university because it's just up the road from home. And um, I remember looking at all the courses they'd done there and thought, oh no, they've got nothing that I wanted to pursue, they've got nothing I was even interested in. So I was very casual, I thought, Chris, it's just up the road, don't be lazy, do something rather than nothing. So I just gave my UCAS form to my brother and said, George, Merry Christmas, fill it out for me. Just apply for whatever you want. I'll do whatever you think, because nothing there I'm interested in. So my brother applied for me to do software engineering, and I was like, oh no, I hate computers, I can't stand them. But I thought, just, just do it, it's only up the road from the house. You know, get on with it. So I completed the first year of software engineering, and by then, me and brother had a brainwave to move out onto Longwood Gardens into a flat up the road from Barkingside High Street. Now, that was two buses away from the university, to and from two buses. Now, bear in mind at the time, this was 18 years ago now, and um, I was severely partially sighted. I could see about two feet ahead of me. Um, when a bus pulled up on High Street, why people were getting on it, I used to walk right up front close to see the number, and then just... Just get, get on it. I never had a white stick or anything to show people that I had a visual impairment. I just got on with it. I was really pushing myself to the boundaries, if you like. Really, it really was difficult. Um, in the second year, one day, coming home from university, I got the first bus to Ilford High Street. And I thought I, was walking, I thought I was walking along the High Street to the second bus stop. It was a very sunny day. All I could see was sunshine. And... I remember this, it's not accurate to put this into words because this was a real-time experience, but I'll do the best I can. I took one step forward and it was like many different thought processes going through my head. And I remember my foot halfway in the air and it was almost like someone attached a live electricity wire to my spine. And I was like, this is a gut instinct to stop. So my foot hit the floor and a double-decker bus came flying around the corner, and I was in the middle of the road, and I could feel the end of my nose touching the side of a double-decker bus. I couldn't believe it. I was in the middle of the road. So I quickly crossed the road, threw my university bag down on the floor, and this gentleman came up to me and said, 
Are you alright? I can't believe you're still on two feet. And I was explaining to him about my eyesight. And he was looking at me like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's got a skinhead. <laughs> I thought, Chris, you haven't got a white stick. People don't understand. And I was just standing on the side of that road, just, just dazed. I was just dazed. I was just standing there thinking, what's this all about? What's going on? How did we get here? And I could feel the wind blowing against my face, thinking, how did the wind come about? How did earth come about? How did the sun come about? What's all this about? What's going on here? And I thought to myself, is this the excuse to give up the university? I thought, no, you're going to finish what you started. You're not going to be a quitter. You're going to finish what you started, and you're going to seriously go looking to find out what's going on here. So bearing in mind that this time I couldn't read print on a page, with or without a magnifying glass, couldn't read print on a page. So the Lord gifted me to go looking at all the shortfalls of major religions and major belief systems and theories and the Lord gifted me with the knowledge of the shortfalls of most religions and theories and things. And to give a quick example, for example, if you look closely at the theory of evolution, you'll see that it's a simple answer to a complex question. The complex question is, how did we get here? What's this all about? And the simple answer is, we slowly X, we slowly change into Y, we slowly change into Z, and then we slowly change into life lifeful. Darwin's theory rests upon his idea that the cell is a basic design. Now, recently we've only just discovered how complex the cell is. One system of the cell relies on another part of the cell which relies on another part of the cell. The concept is called irreducible complexity and it throws the whole of Darwin's theory in something I call a rubbish bin. So then the Lord gifted me to go looking at Christianity closely. Now, when I mean closely, I mean not just what he says in black and white, but the dates books were written, the origination of Christianity, the platform of Christianity, the Old Testament. I looked at it in detail. It was like the Lord gave me the puzzle I was trying to put together. He gave me the answers I was looking for, and he filled me after showing me the road that leads to immortal life. The Lord filled me with the details in scriptures. I remember when I had better hearing. Everywhere I went, I could hear people criticising the fact that man was made from dust. Everywhere I went. So I looked into that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, everyone. Genesis 2, verse 7, where God made man from dust. Recently, we find out that dust is carbon and all life on earth is carbon-based. So the Bible is 100% fact. It contains no fiction. If you're after fiction, you've got the wrong book. So then the Lord revealed to me the details of certain scriptures. For example, the first line of the Bible, everyone, in the beginning, God made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. There's a secret revelation there because God made heaven and earth. It's not just revealing the Almighty Father that made heaven and earth and the complexity of the design. If, if, if the sun was one degree left or right, it wouldn't be possible for us, for us to live on planet earth. He's not just revealing to us the bold father who created everything. He's revealing to us that he knew what was going to happen from the beginning. He knew before he created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden that the humankind was going to fall and listen to Satan. Now how do we know he knew? Because the Lord wrote in the beginning God made heaven and earth. So he separated the earth from the heavens to tell people I know what's going to happen from the beginning. I know you look the human race is going to fall. 
and the Lord broke things down for me like that, thankfully, unfortunately. And um, the Lord broke scriptures down for me like that. And I'm talking about the true living God, the true Father of Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord of hosts is his name, to whom belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening.